Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 12th episode. You know, most of my shows are usually around mindset and how athletes and coaches deal with mindset and how they perceive mental toughness. And there's tons of topics that I always bring up on a weekly or biweekly basis. And this topic or this episode, we're going to be talking about adversity. And when we talk about adversity, my guest, Anthony Trucks, has overcome adversity several, several, several times. His story is very heartbreaking, intimate, but full of perseverance. And when you think about dealing with adversity, there's a lot of things that can come up, whether the voices in your head telling you you're not good enough or you're not worth you know, playing on a team, or you're going to have people tell you that you're not good enough. So when you hear Anthony's story, he has overcame so many obstacles with people telling him that he wasn't worthy of playing football, wasn't worthy of being on this planet. He proved to himself that he could be an incredible collegiate football player, which led him to the NFL and had a great career, and which also led him to be a, a serial entrepreneur and also has his own company called Trust Your Hustle. So I know that my listeners, or I'm saying to my listeners, you are going to be motivated after you hear his story. It's very authentic, very vulnerable, and I am pleased and honored to have him on my show. So let's go talk to Anthony. Hey, Anthony, how are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing, I'm doing really good. Man, I want to th- thank you for uh, being on my show. I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to talk about adversity and your mindset on how you dealt with adversity with your childhood when you played at the collegiate level and the professional level with football and, and how that led you to create your own company called Trust Your Hustle. So I'm really excited yeah. to have you on the show. Thank you, man. I'm happy to be here. I enjoy, I enjoy sharing to talk about it, man. It's, it's kind of something that I, I, in the beginning, was kind of a little bit nervous to share, like, oh, I tell people about my life. And I find that now people who hear just some of the snippets, actually, it helps them in some way. So I don't know exactly how, but I do my best to share it and hopefully it helps them. Beautiful. Well, you, you, your story is, uh, it's inspiring, and I can't wait to get into your story. But uh, before I do that, I ask all my, my guests uh, what mentally tough means to them. So what does mentally yeah. tough mean to you? Uh, mentally tough, well, one is like right now I'm at the airport. I just landed in Portland to do some stuff, so it's going to be focusing with the guy talking in the background. <laughs> now, but, uh, but I think mentally tough for me... I think it's the ability to to be able to move past the hardships that most people actually endure, whether it's physical or actual mental, uh, to be able to get to that point where everything finally just gives and, and you succeed, right? Because I think at the end of the day, toughness is just can you endure, you know, because it wouldn't be called toughness if it was easy. And it's a matter of being able to go through those hard spots and not failing. So I think mentally tough is can you go through those mentally hard spots without failing? Beautiful, beautiful. No, I, I agree with you 100%. 100%. And when you think about kind of your story, and I know you're going to get into it, I mean, and I know your story, I followed you on social media, but it, you really showed throughout your life how to be mentally tough. When, when was the moment when you realized that you needed to be mentally tough to live this life? Oh, man. 
I think it was, it was for me at this a couple of times. And I think one of the most pivotal points was I was 15 years old. I think, you know, we all go through hardships, whether it's, you know, something that's easy compared to somebody else, but it's all relative. Right. And I think for me, it switched when I realized what happens when you finally endure the mental toughness and like you go through things, you know, like you finally succeed. And for me, it was 15. I had, uh, I had been put into foster care at three and bounced around from home to home and couldn't play sports, couldn't do much. And so my entire life I've been told you're not good enough. You don't matter. You know, nobody cares about you and so at 15 I pretty much I'd been adopted a year earlier played the game of football for the first time loved it and I was sitting two years later having been horrible at the game about to give up on the game because it was just too hard and I was tired of not being graded and it just it was mentally tough and physically tough and this girl said a statement to another girl having no clue I was listening and she says well the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care and for me, I'd been in foster care for, you know, literally 11 years. And so what ended up happening. It was I, I had this this mindset shift that you know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be saying those words to somebody else because it sounded horrible. And so that was when I realized if you work, you know, maybe you can succeed. So I started working. And what I mean by working was I had to go through like the mentally tough, like rigorous days of, of doing my homework when I didn't want to do my homework, you know, and, and making sure that I got up and lifted every weight I could lift and ran routes. And I did above and beyond what my mind wanted to do. And so when I felt like I got to that point of it was too hard, I tried to do more. And the next year I came back and everything switched for my life. It was, you know, from that point forward, about like 15 years old, like my life has been a completely different shift. But it was that moment after I had succeeded on the football field that I realized like what it really meant, which was, you know, for me, it's if you work towards something before, you know, it's going to be successful. That's how you become great. And what I did in the football field, I could actually apply to my life. And now I apply to other people's lives. That's great. You know, the game of football and I think sports in general, it's interesting how it teaches us uh, life lessons and develops our character. So it's, it's awesome how football was that catalyst for you. Yeah. Absolutely. My little incubator. <laughs> exactly. Well, and share with share with my listeners kind of a little bit the, the intimate side of your story, you know, with foster yeah. care, because I think it's it's truly amazing all the changes that you had to go through physically and emotionally with different parents and brothers and sisters. Because I think that my listeners will have a better understanding of kind of what you had to go through and why you're the man that you are today. Yeah, totally, man. So. Uh, my first memory of life, I uh, was given away at three years old, and I remember all of it, like what my mom was wearing, where I was at in the house. I can remember all of it. It's kind of a weird, creepy memory, but my first memory is is the memory of being, you know, not cared about, not loved by the one person who wants to love you and feeling, you know, less than and feeling helpless and just lost. And I went into a system where at the time I was pretty much a paycheck, which means that as long as I'm alive, the person is the foster care taking care of me, the foster home or mom or dad, I'm okay. As long as I don't die, all is well and they get their paycheck. And so for me, I endured a lot of stuff like beatings and starvation and torture and nobody listened to me. I was just some little foster kid. So I was probably lying and just a lot of craziness. So by six years old, I'd been beaten and starved, like a whole bunch of crazy, weird stuff. And I was just a shut off little kid. I was unhappy. I was angry. I was really bad in school. And at six years old, I got picked up from the final house. I would say after like going between five different houses and I was dropped off at which would be my house to this day, my family now. And the unique piece about that was I was now the only black person in an all-white family. So I had like some weird racial dynamics to deal with like my entire life. But over time, it became more uh, like more fun over time. It sounds weird, but it was like this fun like life game we all played to try, you know, trying to figure out how to how to navigate the society with 
there's like little differences. Uh, but for the next eight years in that home from six until 14, I dealt with a lot of craziness between my real mom, my biological mom and my foster family that wanted to adopt me. And so like, I wasn't allowed to play sports or travel or do anything. And, and even then the house that I lived in, like we were really poor. Like we seriously had like mice in a pantry, a roaches in the backyard and all over the garage. Like we just, I remember I would get my clothes out of this plastic bag in the middle of our hallway and the clothes in there were so old and wrinkled that when I put shirts on, I would go to school and people couldn't make out the logos on them because it was that wrinkly, like the images. So wow. we just, we didn't have much, man. And so at 14, I finally got adopted. I, I severed my mom's parental rights. I went to court and stood up in front of a judge, looked my real mom right in her eyes and said, I no longer want you to be my mom anymore. And it severed parental rights. I got adopted. And that's how I was able to first time be able to play the game of football. It's something I had my buddies do and I watched them play and I could never play. And so now I had this first opportunity to actually be able to go in and like do this cool thing. And I loved it. I loved it a lot, but I sucked at it. And it's just like anybody in this world where, you know, you have this, this things that you love to do or you really want to do, but sometimes you're not very good at it. Or sometimes you're not very good at you know, creating a, a life that, that allows you to do that thing you love so much. And so that's where I kind of was. And, and my solution when it got hard was how much did I give up? And I made excuses as to why it was going to be too hard to do or, you know, because it wasn't set in the books. At the same time, my adoptive mom had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And so you know, I had that kind of going on in the background. My family, a lot of dynamics had switched. And my older brother was like my rock in that family of I was one of six kids. Like he took off to the military. And so it kind of left me just sitting there floating, feeling just like I did before, just lost. And statistically, foster kids, like, we're not supposed to do very well in life. I don't think most people know that. But, like, not only does you know, does our life not do well, but our lives after that, we don't, we don't really have, like, successful numbers. If you go to any prison in America, 75% of the inmates are former foster kids. On top of that, 1% of former foster kids ever graduate college. It's like we're not really set up to do much. And wow. so at my point in time in life then... My assumption was, you know, this is what my, my cards are. I'm just going to play this hand and see what I can do with it. And that's where I got to that point where I was sitting in that classroom. And I would go to that classroom, Mr. Howell's English class, and I would bring his, like, black parka and a bag of cinnamon toast crunch, and I would just sit there. <laughs> and I would, like, pretty much not do my homework, just eat the bag of cinnamon toast crunch and, like, halfway be asleep. And it was those simple words she said that, that made me realize how I was sounding to other people and how horrible that sounded. And if it wasn't talking like out loud, I knew I at least said that statement in my head, which is, you know, the reason I'm so bad is because I was in foster care mm. and it could not it could not have come at the right time. And it shifted everything. And I went home and I worked. I, I did everything I could to get great at football because I just wanted to be great now. And it panned out, man. I, from there, progressed on to get a football scholarship to play at the University of Oregon. Uh, I went on to play in the NFL for three years. Got hurt my shoulder in the third. So I have two accredited years. From there, I came home. I got my degree in kinesiology. I had my only person in my family to get my degree. Uh, and then I was able to come home and open a gym called Trucks Training. I ran that gym for six years until 2014 when I closed it and then ventured off in the speaking world and built the company Trust Your Hustle. And I've done a whole lot of crazies, man. I've spoken all over the world. I've, I've been in best-selling books. I've, I've written books. I have been on television. I've held live events. I've spoken in front of thousands of people. Like, some really cool, amazing things. Wow. And, uh, yeah, man, it's been, all, it's been a weird journey to, to get where I'm at. And, and to this day, now I've actually reopened my gym and I've created a lot of products. I'm kind of back in the fitness space. I left it like back in 2014, I ran from it, man. I just had this weird feeling about the whole fitness space. And I, I've now come back to help people 
who were, were like me back in the gym days and I first started, which were just struggling and grinding to make a dollar and just, you know, doing craziness. But my true heart lies in the, the trust your hustle brand and message and, and what I try to teach people. Because for me, like when I was when I was a kid, I didn't have much, man. I didn't have any people to trust. Like I didn't have any people to lean on. And only person that I can say was always there is my adoptive mom. And in 2015, uh, actually, sorry, 14, she passed away from multiple sclerosis. And I remember having like this, this weird internal like conversation of like, this is it. Like, this is what life looks like. It's you're here and you're gone. And, and what is it we're doing while we're here? And why don't we chase these dreams? Because I didn't, I didn't love my gym for a couple of years, but I was just doing it because I felt like oh, that's what I got to do. Investment bias. I got to do this because I've been doing it for so long. And then I watched my mom who physically couldn't walk and couldn't talk like she couldn't chase her dreams. But in my head, I'm like, man, if I can walk, and I can talk and I can dream like I got to go do something. And so I ventured off to do these these things I wanted to do. But the reason I chose to help people and talk and share is because looking back, the reason I wasn't a statistic, the reason I was able to, to be successful in life, open my businesses and to be able to play in the NFL and all this fun stuff was because she impacted me. It wasn't her blood. She didn't know me from anybody else. I was just some kid that showed up one day. But my mom just unconditionally loved me in a way that that most people would never do for some kid that, that she didn't have as her blood. And so for me, the, the way I look at what Trust Your Hustle is, is it's a way for me to go and do what was done for me, which is help people who who aren't my blood, aren't my kin, because I think the world needs more people who are who are giving back and sharing in ways that, that are necessary, even if they're not related. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. And it's interesting when you go back to when you were in high school and you were in, in your classroom, it's, it's, it's interesting how our thoughts influence our behavior. So when you're thinking that you're less than and you're a foster kid, you're not supposed to be successful and how that just kind of colors and creates who you are in this world. But once you let that go, right, which is something that when you and I talked in the past, you said something, when you let something go, it's because you're allowing yourself to gain control of something else. And, yeah. you know, and when you look at what you've done, uh, it's, it's amazing. And Trust Your Hustle, which I love, love that name. How did, how did you come up with that name? That was an accident, man. I was, uh, I was actually in this, this, this is, when I had my gym run around, I had a mastermind group I was part of. And in the mastermind group, we would have these retreats. And one retreat was in Monterey. And when I first opened my gym, most people don't comprehend this, but I had zero clients. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. Never, I didn't have a business plan. I had never owned a gym membership, let alone a business. And I was like, I'm going to go and open up you know, 8,000 square feet of space, which I did. And I rented it like an idiot. <laughs> and I, I built this business out of nowhere. Like it, it was in 08, the worst economy we'd had in a long time. So a lot of people are like, dude, how in the world did you keep that thing up and open? I was like, man, throughout my life, what I realized is, is there's going to be problems. We are going to have problems, but I'm not going to let those potential problems hinder my ability to chase a dream. And what I realized is you have to actually have problems where we look in the future, you realize you bring you to the problem. And it was this girl that was uh, in my group. Her name was Kim. And Kim was saying, you know, I have this gym idea. I have my clientele. I have a business plan. I have a, a location I want. I have, I have money. She's like, but I just, I can't pull the trigger. I was like, Kim, you got to just trust your hustle. You got to go ahead and get that thing. And that was where it was born. It literally flew out of my mouth. And then I was like, oh, everybody's like, oh, I like that. I was like, me too. And so it turned into a, a company I built from there. That's awesome, man. Well, and I, and I know that we'll talk a little bit more about Trust Your Hustle, but with my listeners, I want you definitely to check out Anthony Trucks. We'll go over all his social media, but uh, check out his 
trustyourhustle.com website. His story is on there, but you have a better better understanding of what he does with people. So it's very, very awesome. Switching gears a little bit, I want to dive in a little bit uh, about your experience uh, with football, starting with your, yeah. cle- your collegiate career at uh, University of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Now, you've had a lot of you had incredible experiences there, good ones, bad ones. And I don't want to start off with a negative, but just from an adversity standpoint and kind of understanding your mindset when you were in college, what was the darkest moment that you had to deal with when you were at University of Oregon? Man, my uh, my darkest moment was in a point where I had, it was my sophomore year, I had a... Uh, I had finally battled out. So I, I went to college and I didn't register. I became what's called a true freshman. So I played my first year. And then my second year out there, my my position had a redshirt senior, which means he was pretty much in line to have the starting spot. Right. So he's been there five years, my second year there. And for me, it's like, I want to play this game. I want to get in the field. Like I got my clock's ticking. And so what I did is I, I pretty much battled. I mean, I battled like I did every single thing I could to get a shot at that starting spot. I read every book, every page in a playbook. I knew every position. Like, and I came early. I stayed late. Like, I watched tons of film. And so it, my coach this day says that that training camp was the uh, was the hardest fought battle for a position he'd seen. And I won the job. I won the job. Like, I I beat this dude out for position. Like, it, it, eerily weird, right? And so about three games in, I tear my shoulder. I, I can't I can't tackle. I can't. My right arm's pretty much done. And I battled all the way through to get to the point where all of a sudden my body gave up on me. And it was like the, the, the it just it brought me down, man. It made me feel real, real dark. And I pretty much at the point where at some point I'd have surgery and my season was over. And the hard mental part was after that coming back because in your head, you're like, yeah, like I just worked and did everything I could just to fall apart. Like, do I want to do it again? Like that was so hard. And so the hardest mental darkest spot for me at that point was the decision to go and put even more work in with a chance of failure still in front of me. And I did it. I put the work in and it paid off. I got a chance to go play the NFL and, and the rest is history. That was beautiful. What, what do you think contributed you to your, to your bounce back from that situation? Uh, one was my child. Like I had a kid at 20 years old, my high school sweetheart. And, uh, and for me, my big thing was like, I am not going to be what my father and my mom were, which was just people that abandoned people. And so I was always going to be there. And my thought was, if I'm going to have my son be successful, I can't tell him to do it. I have to show him what it looks like. And so for me, a lot of it, although he's a baby, was there's going to be a time when, when I look back on my life and I have a conversation with him when he's having a hard time and I tell him those stories. But they're going to come from a real place, not just what I wish I would have done. That's awesome. That, that's awesome. Now, your proudest moment or the best moment at University of Oregon? Proudest moment, he says. Oh, man, there's a moment where – so I was playing uh, in high school, and we had obviously you know, high school kid. We want to go to colleges. So what we do is in order to go get more, I guess, notoriety in some eyes, you go to these football camps. And so I went to a football camp at Oregon State. Now, I played football at University of Oregon later, but I went to Oregon State, and when I was there for a football camp, what the coach told me, I was like 100, like 180 pounds, trying to play linebacker. Now, most linebackers are 200-plus easily, right? So I show up at this training camp, and it was our uh, summer camp, and it was like my junior going into my senior year, and I go to weigh in, and the strength coach for the Oregon State Beavers tells me, you will never play linebacker 
at the Division One level. Uh, and I was like, oh man, like this guy's just shut my, my heart down. <laughs> so I like, you know, I do, I, I do what I do. I, I kind of get that little switch that turns on. I'm like, I'm gonna make this happen. So I do, and I ball out the next year at high school, and I get offers from a ton of different schools. And so one happens to be Oregon. I love the, the school when I went there for a trip, and so I signed to Oregon. So four years later, fast forward, we have what's called the Civil War out here. And the Civil War is Oregon versus Oregon State. And it was my last game in Austin Stadium. We were going to don these brand new black jerseys. And I was like, this is the moment I'm going to have this all come to culmination like it hit. And so that game, I I went like a little bit crazy, man. Like I, my thought was I'm going to make sure I'm remembering. And that game we ended up leading like it was the, the biggest deficit we'd ever beat a team by or ever beaten uh, in a Civil War by. But I ended up uh, finishing that game with the game ball. I got like 13 tackles something like seven quarterback hurries, an interception. Like my first interception in my career in college happened that game uh, and my last, obviously. But, uh, but man, like I remember like finishing that game feeling like, you know, what? like he said, I wouldn't play at the division one level. And we just destroyed them at the division one level. And I then got a chance to play in the NFL at that same position. Wow. That's incredible. You know, it's interesting when you, when individuals take certain, certain types of motivation that, effective performance and it's interesting how you took that in motivation and you had an incredible performance in the civil war game but it's pretty safe to say that you were in the zone or you were in flow during that game oh yeah i think that the zone is a huge piece of it it's it's kind of for me I, it's weird because i don't like my motivation to come externally i think that like i'm not a guy it's like i'm gonna do it because they told me i couldn't because then what happens when they tell you you can you don't go you know like it's just weird so right, right. for me my 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 desire is to be able to to do it's weird but i want to do what i'm supposed to do although i have no idea what i'm supposed to do the only way i'll find out what i'm supposed to do in life is by doing everything i can even when i don't want to do it because my gut tells me to right so like when you get to that flow state for me it's pretty much switching a switch and saying all right let's do what we do body and like i don't i don't even think like i just got done doing this american ninja warrior uh tv show that airs on june 12th and for me it's like people are like well, was it difficult and hard i'm like you know i I don't know, because when I get to competitive levels, I don't think a lot. Like, I don't process. I process quick, but it's more of I'm going I'm going to my my, uh, my reptile brain. Mm-hmm. Like, my brain's there, and I'm thinking, but I just want my body to flow, because when I flow, I can really tap into everything I've done to create uh, a great body, a great mind, or what it is. But when I'm focused and, like, thinking too, too much, I'm shutting off the natural reactions, the natural flows my body can go into. And so I just, I, seriously, it's that idea of trust your hustle. It's almost an innate, like, second second nature kind of thing you got to go to at times. Yeah, that's awesome. I, you know, just hearing you talk about flow and how you just get your, your mind and body in sync. Because I, I think when you're an athlete, that's probably the most beautiful experience you can experience is being in that flow zone state, state of mind. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we've talked a little bit about your professional career what was what what was what was your darkest moment in the nfl oh man my darkest moment in the nfl was uh my rookie year i was in tampa bay and i had you know i just got kind of done playing college football i I just got married i had my my kid was you know young and i I grew up in foster care. I don't like being away from family. Like it's not the thing I like. I don't. I don't like being like moved around and like I just like solidarity. And it's just because I was always moved around and bounced around at that at that young age. And so as an adult, I'm here now and across the country. I'm moving from Oregon. I'm over in Florida. 
I have no support system except for coaches and, and teammates who, let's be honest, their teammates are there. It's not like college. They want you to go home so their job's easier, right? Mm-hmm. And then the coaches, their job's to make life hell on you because this, this game is not easy in the NFL. And so I'm across the country in training camp. It's it's I'm no joking, man. It's hell on earth. You're wearing a black helmet with a black jersey and black cleats. You're in you're in Orlando, Florida, where it was <laughs> lightning and thunder for like five minutes, and then ten minutes later, the ground is dry because it's all been absorbed into the air. And so every time you breathe, like you're drinking water, man. It's crazy. And I would lose like 12 pounds, uh, seriously, a practice in sweat. <laughs> it, it was not. I, I would walk, and when I walked, you could see sweat squirt out of the eyelets of my shoes and my cleats. It was nuts. So I'm at this point where I'm like, you know what? Uh, I don't want to do this anymore, man. Like I'm, I'm done with this game. And I remember I, I called my college coach. I'm like, hey, the DP, man, can I come home? I called my, call my head coach. Can I come back, get my scholarship, finish up my school? I hadn't done school yet. Hadn't finished and graduated yet until like, oh, eight. They're like, yeah, you can come home. But sad to hear. I'm like, I don't care. I call my agent. He's like, what are you thinking? I'll call my wife. She's like, are you out of your damn mind? I'm like, oh, no, I just want to come home. <laughs> and I was done. My brain had just given up. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be in comfort. Because what happens is when you get to that place of discomfort, all you think about is how do I get out of this? That's it. Not how can I endure this? The, the brain says, how do I stop this pain? How do I get out of this? And and so what I did is try to find a way out. So I remember I walked downstairs and I'm walking to the coach's office. The doors open. I get about 20 feet away and something in my body just freezes and I stop. And I don't know why I stopped. I, I, I remember everything. I remember the hallway, what they were wearing. Like every, I remember the hotel. And I was like, I just stopped. I remember I just, I kind of was standing there and then this guy named Eric Vance walks up. Eric Vance was a guy who was uh, he was pretty much like the player personnel guy. He's there to help people who are having a hard time, to be honest. And he happened to be standing right there at the right time. He's like, Ant man, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, I don't want to be here, Eric, man. I'm trying to, I want to go home. I'm trying to tell the coach I'm leaving. He goes, let's go have a talk, man. So we sit down. He starts asking me about my story because nobody even in the area had known about my past. And he's like, dude, he's like, based on what you've gone through, he's like, you had a son. He's like, you know, what? what is your son going to think of you? Whenever, for some reason, he you know, gets old enough to hear about the story and you tell him you quit and went home after you'd worked so hard for something. I was like, dude, I don't care. I don't know. He goes, man, think about that. Like, think about that moment. And I can't be picture the moment where I'm telling my son I quit. And he's like, you've gone through too much in life, man. Like, this is just another, another you know, notch in the belt, to be honest, in your life. You're going to have so many more. He's right. I've had so many more. But he's like, this is something where, you know, you get to come out of this. And if you do well, your life changes. You get a spot in this, your life changes. Your son's life changes. He's like, it's not about you anymore. You know, most of the time we think our hardships are a lot of them about us and it's all about how we feel. But it's like it's not about you at this point. It's about who you are, who you affect and what you pass on to those around you. Right. And so I was like, you know, I, I kind of I shifted my mindset. Like I got this and I, I stuck it out, man. In fact, I was one of the last seven to get let go. I did get cut that year. I was one of the last seven to get let go. And they actually called me back every year for the next two years. They liked me, man. Like I just I was always with different teams, though, when they did call. But, man, it was that, that dark moment of, like, I'm about to give up something I've literally given everything to. You know, I, all I knew was football, but I was ready to come home. And so, yeah, it was one of those things. That moment was was one that still rings in my ears and my mind to this day. Isn't it crazy how the universe puts certain people in our life at certain times that impact us and, uh, and support us when we need it? Isn't it interesting? Yeah, it's almost uh, like my mom was there. And, you know, it's, it's funny, like my mom passed in 2014. And when she passed, I happened across the whole like world of, of personal development and a guy named Brandon Burchard. And it's, it's odd. It's like I have a woman who's part of Burchard's team who was like my mom. Like it's weird. Like she reminds me of my mom, but then like she cares about me like my mom. And I, I needed her there when my mom passed. And it's it's just like little things like that with people that get put in my life when they're there. And 
I think it's the same for everybody. I think what we do in life as, as human beings is we have this perfect picture in our head of what it's supposed to be. And whether you think it's God or the universe or whatever, I think life has an amazing plan for us and we mess it up. Because we go against the grain. We don't want to try the little thing we're supposed to try, or we don't want to venture into some new area, or we don't want to take an opportunity and just say yes to this thing that, that's just right there in front of us. And I think if we just go with the flow and let life do what it does, man, things that for me in that sense have just opened up amazingly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, preaching the gospel there, man. Let me ask you this. What was it like your very first NFL football game, whether if it was preseason or not? Well, your very first game. Oh, first game, man. It's different because it's not like college. In college, like you're with your brothers, right? This is not that it's not your brothers, but the cool thing is you're with people and you know, that are your teammates you've fought and bled with. But the cool thing is when you get to step out and you're now wearing a helmet that most kids grow up, you know, seriously on their shirts and on their jerseys, like a logo, like it's on your head. Like I'm inside this logo right now. And, and this is, I have my own number with my own name on a jersey. And I'm, I step out in the field. And it's like you step out and you see the crowd, you see that grass, and you realize you have just stepped on to the field at the highest level in the world for your sport, planet Earth. Like planet Earth, <laughs> yeah. you're at the highest level in the world for this. Like, holy crap. This is not something that happens very often. And at that moment, you get to that level where I, I tell people that great isn't great until it feels surreal. Mm. You say, I'm having a great time. This is great. But it's not really great until you're like, I got to pinch myself. This doesn't feel like, is this real? Like, you're asking yourself, is, is this really going on? Like, nuts, the guy next to you, like, are we really are we wearing a jersey right now in the NFL? Like, yeah, bro, that's what we're doing. And that's the moment I think it gets, like, surreal and great. And, and those are the moments that I, I think uh, that shift our entire like mental perspective because that's when I arrived, man. Like when I stood in that field for the first time and I realized I had actually got the jersey I was wearing it. That's when I was like, holy crap! Like this, this is what happens when you stick it out, when you when you endure, and like when you kind of stick around. Because if I'd have walked to that coach and said, hey, I want to go home, and I didn't actually stick it out, I never wore the jersey for that team or any team because no one's gonna go and pick the guy up that quit. Right. Right. I, to be honest with you, I love the statement you just you just made. Great is not great until it's surreal. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, man, that's great. Well, what was your proudest moment when you were playing in the NFL? Oh, proudest moment, man. I don't know if I have a problem. One of my proudest, like my happiest moments, was when uh. When I was basically, I was with the Redskins, and we were there with Greg Williams, the guy who had that whole, like, uh, his, it was kind of that issue with him paying players to hit people. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it ever happened. Being around it, I never saw it take place. So I don't know. I'm not going to poke any fingers or point any fingers or anything. But one of my problems was we were playing against a team. We were playing against the Baltimore Ravens. I was with the Redskins. And we had this play where I was supposed to go out. And I wasn't the highly drafted guy. There's another guy that was drafted. And we were both in. We had this blitz play where I'm a, a linebacker on, on the right side. He's on the left. And we have to basically blitz inside the quarterback. It's our job. So the ball is like, boom, I take off. I beat this humongous tackle. It was like a house. And I get to the quarterback, smack his arm, ball flies up, lands across the, like it goes backwards like five yards, lands in the belly of the other linebacker. He takes it in for a touchdown. And so it was like proud because I'm like, man, I, I showed up. Not only did I, I make this you know chance to be on this field and play with these guys, but I actually contributed and had an amazing play. In fact, I think I got top ten. I sorry, top eight. I was number eight of top ten Sports Center plays of the week that week. <laughs> Just that one play. That's pretty damn proud. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Really cool. Well, talk to me a little bit about your career-ending injury because I think 
it's really interesting to hear your story with this because a lot of athletes and even myself struggled uh, even when I had to end my, my football career because of a hip injury and yeah. a lot of athletes deal with identity issues and all sorts of stuff but um, tell me a little bit about your career ending injury Oh man! So in 2008, it was actually 8808. I was playing the Philadelphia Eagles, and I uh, I was making a, a play to the left as a linebacker, and I tripped over a teammate who wasn't paying attention, and I went down, and the opposing lineman jumped on my back and tore my shoulder. And so now I'm in this position where, you know, like I I tried to come back, but I couldn't. I had to have surgery, and it's 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 tough when you come to a point where two things happen. One is you enter a world, which is the regular world that has like no need for your skills. Like nobody cares if I can run fast and tackle you. Nobody cares. Right. It's just this, I have skills now that I can't even apply to the rest of the world. And then two, you have to start thinking about who in the world am I without the game of football? Like that's it. When, when your identity gets robbed from you, you have to figure out who you are. That's hard. And so the injury piece had me like have to go internal and reshape my entire psyche of who I am and my purpose here. And I think that's one thing that a lot of players don't do and a lot of people just don't do. I think when you come back from giving your all towards something and then you try to transition into a new place or a new like environment, that's one of the hardest things. It's like trying to figure out who am I and can I even use anything from what I've done so much, you know, work towards in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, that, that resonates with me because that, that was something I struggled with, especially when the next spring came and the next summer came. I was like, what am I doing with myself? And and who am I at this point? Yeah. Because football became my identity. And so, I mean, that that's a great message. And I, and I hope that there are listeners out there that have had injuries or career ending injuries is to really reflect on what your purpose is moving forward. So, which is a great segue into, you know, into where you're at now. Talk to me about Trust Your Hustle, just a little bit what you're doing with people and kind of the program. Yeah, so Trust Your Hustle is, it has kind of two prongs to it, I guess. One prong is the area where I, I help people in just everyday life. I think that that some people just need a little bit of a, a mental shift, a perspective shift. A lot of it's the mentality. And then the other piece of it dials back to like the fitness aspect, because I think the mind and the brain are heavily attached. And because my background from sports and my degree in my gym are all in that area, like I like to help people get in better shape or at least business wise, help people get in better shape. So it's, it's kind of a, a two prong that way. But the concept of it overarches everything. And so the trust trustful process, and I say process because it's legitimately a process I teach, is one that when you kind of go through it, allows it to reshape your, like, your internal thoughts of how you operate and then change how your life is led from that point forward. So the three steps of the process are see, sacrifice, and sustain. And the way that it kind of ingrains itself in your life is, think about this, the first step of any process or, or journey or anything is you have to see where you're at and where you want to go. So the see phase, I literally have to see, hey, where am I at in my life right now? Like, do I want to be here? Do I not want to be here? Is this what I envisioned, right? And then if it is, then it's not, whatever. If it's not where you want to be, the thing is, well, where do I want to go and where can I go? Seeing the next steps. And that comes to a point where, like a lot of us set our sights too low, but if you start to look and see different, bigger things, you start having like the idea of like, maybe I can go after it. You'll start going after it, which is where trust Russell itself kind of dials itself in. But once you see the next stage as well, if I'm going to get that thing, it's cool and new, I have to do something different. 
and it's painful, which is the sacrifice portion. So people have got to start sacrificing more. Now there's there's good and bad sacrifice. The good sacrifice is your comfort zone, your ego, like those type of things that really hinder us. But the bad sacrifice that most people start doing is they start sacrificing relationships and their health and their time, like all these things that really should not be sacrificed. So the next stage is say, what, what hard work are you going to have to sacrifice and do to be able to get the results you want? And the last piece of that in all stages of life is no one likes to pretty much you know, get on the top of the mountain and win just to go back to the bottom of the mountain and have to climb it back over and over again. The idea is how do I sustain and stay at the top of this mountain? So the last piece is sustain. So throughout life and even the growth and the sacrifice, it's looking at what is it that I can do to sustain this great you know, position I've finally achieved in my life. Man, I like that, man. That's, that's a, that's a well-thought-out uh, model, if you will. But I really like the sacrifice piece because, you know, as humans, as we're trying to reinvent ourselves or try to achieve things, we have to understand you have to, you have to be uncomfortable to be comfortable. And sac- yeah. sacrifice can be a hard thing for people. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it always is. That's that's really that's the hardest part, because a lot of people like even if it's we're saying it's going to see like I got to see where I want to go. Even then, it's a matter of say, OK, cool. I see it. Oh, my gosh. Can I do what I have to do to get there? And that's honestly where the, the whole trust your hustle message comes in, because there's a model to it. But the message behind it is pretty straightforward. And what what I mean by straightforward is for me as a person, when I'm looking at this, uh, this desire to go try something new, if I have failed a lot in the past, I don't trust my ability to succeed right now. And if I don't trust my ability to succeed, then I don't think that any work I do will, will actually come to fruition in a positive way. And so what a lot of people do is they just talk themselves out of going towards something big and new because they're way too scared or because they failed in the past. So the way I look at, at the whole trust or hustle like message, so to speak, is that you have to really start looking at what is it you've done in the past that you can say I've had success at doing. And if not that, what can I do from here forward to start developing successful actions in my life that tell me I'm actually capable of doing something. Yeah, exactly. And, and the C part is it's hard for people sometimes to see a bigger game because, it, you know, generally speaking, some people are, they play a smaller game. So even when they uh-huh. are in that phase of like, I want to see what I can do, sometimes it's very hard to play for them. it safe. Yeah, to play it safe. And, and I always, you know, when I'm working with athletes, you know, I, I always ask the question like, who are you when you are big? So when you are yeah. big and you're thinking big, who are you? And it's interesting when you get you solicit that 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 question because people come out with like these awesome answers and they didn't even realize that's how they feel and that's who they are when they're feeling big. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree, man. It's big. Awesome, awesome. Well, before we wrap up, uh, I have a question. If yeah. What would you say to a kid who has gone through a bunch of foster homes and whether he wants to play sports or not, but is just uh, struggling? What, what would you say to that kid right now? Uh, I would say, I mean, foster kid are crazy. Just, when you deal with a hardship in your life and you just survive, you start to amass some incredible tools just because you have to, to for survival. And as opposed to making it thick in your head a, a thing that you're like, oh, I'm not good enough because this happened. When you start realizing that there's this great saying I love is a smooth sea makes not a skilled sailor. Mm. And so when you go through stuff in life, you're, you're amassing some amazing tools that a lot of people just will never have. And so it actually prepares you to be able to pursue bigger things better than people who don't go through hardships. So it's kind of like 
embrace the craziness, like go with the flow. Because at the end of the day, when you get turn, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever later in life, when you're next to this person competing or trying to deal with this thing and they have never experienced that hardship, you'll outdo them nine times out of 10 because they won't be able to endure the way you have in life. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, man. I, I appreciate your insight on that, man. Again, you're preaching the gospel, and I appreciate it very, very much. Before we go, I'm going to – I always promote a book, and um, I like to – which I think is very uh, timely to talk about a book called Mindset from Carol Dweck. Um, Carol Les Dweck, yep. It's a yeah, good book. Yeah, absolutely. So check it out. It talks about growth mindset. talks about how you develop a mindset at an early age. There's more to it. I don't want to spoil it for you, but uh, check it out when you can. Anthony, man, it's a pleasure to talk Amy. to you. Uh, you're an inspiration for a lot of people, man, and uh, thank you for being on the Thank show. you. Very welcome, man. Very welcome. Beautiful.